There are scripture lessons. It will seem like a strange passage of scripture for World Communion Sunday, but I hope you will hear it and uh, join in, read along if you would like, and then we'll go from there. The passage is John's Gospel, chapter 21, beginning with verse 1. Would you stand as you are able for the reading of the Holy Gospel? After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they called nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, a hundred fifty-three of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Now, do you agree with me or not? Was that a different kind of passage to be read for a World Communion Sunday? It's a great story, obviously a great post-resurrection appearance of Jesus, a magnificent story, a lot of incredible things going on there. A lot of little things that sometimes you, you catch quickly and others I have to go back and look at it a time or two. It mentions that they were cooking on a charcoal fire on the beach. Jesus had prepared a fire. And you remember the only other time in John's gospel when a charcoal fire is mentioned is in the courtyard of Caiaphas when Peter denied Jesus. It's almost like these charcoal fires were bookends of something significant that was going on here. And John's gospel is just, well, he's just good about those kind of things. And 153 fish. We're going to circle back around to that in just a minute. So hold that thought, if you will. Hold that number 153. But I want us to think a little bit about World Communion Sunday and why we do what we do on World Communion Sunday and then come back around to this story and see if it connects up. That's certainly my hope. But our second scripture lesson, it's not listed in the bulletin. It's just three or four verses, and I want to read that for our hearing. And it makes a little more sense for World Communion Sunday. Hopefully the other will too. This is 1 Corinthians 11. 23 through 26. 
For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Why do we do the things we do as individuals, as families, and as the church? Because that's what we've always done, because that's what we were taught by word and example, because what we do is enjoyable and meaningful and we keep doing it. It's a legitimate question and these are acceptable answers, all of them. From time to time, we all need to examine our actions and our attitudes, our patterns, our routines, our habits. And then we can eliminate those actions and attitudes that fail inspection. And we can affirm those actions and attitudes that pass inspection. In the church, we have certain rituals and patterns of worship. We have patterns of administration and service that from time to time need to be examined. Some things will be discarded. Others will be reformed and still others will be affirmed or reaffirmed. Today we propose to participate in one of the sacraments of the church, the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion. But before we break the bread and take the cup, let's take just a moment or two to ask the question, why do we celebrate the Lord's Supper? Why do we join with other Christians from all around the globe on this World Communion Sunday and celebrate communion on this particular day. Why Holy Communion? Pretty simple because Jesus said to the 12 and through the pages of Scripture to you and me, do this in remembrance of me. We continue across the years with the sacrament because it reminds us of the sacrifice of our Savior, Jesus Christ, on the cross of Calvary on our behalf. The bread is a visible reminder of the body broken, and the cup is a visible reminder of the blood spilled out for us all. Paul wrote that in Corinthians, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the mystery, the Lord's death, until he comes. But we not only celebrate the Holy Communion to remember who Jesus was and is and what he's done for us, but to celebrate his presence with us today through the gift of salvation, which is ours, a means of saying that, yes, he is alive and he is present and he is in this church and he is alive in his world. And the word we use, the Greek word for remembrance is anamnesis. And anamnesis means to make present, to make real in the present. Not just to remember something that was and is gone, but to make present by remembering. And the opposite of anamnesis is amnesia. And sometimes we suffer from amnesia in the church. And we forget why we do what we do. And we forget some of our traditions. And we do well not to forget this sacrament of Holy Communion. As we eat the bread and drink the cup, we believe in our hearts that the risen Christ is present with us. Not just remembering what was, but celebrating what is. Both of those are aspects of this Holy Communion. And there are many other reasons to celebrate Holy Communion, but remembering his sacrifice and rejoicing in his presence are the two primary ones. Now, as far as 
World Communion Sunday. There are different stories as to when it started and where it started. In fact, there was an article in the Noonan paper yesterday about World Communion Sunday. And I believe it traced the roots of this day back to 1940. Something I read this week actually traced those roots back to 1933 to a Presbyterian church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. But either way, it's been around for quite a while. It's been part of many of our lives, all of our lives. So why do we participate in World Communion Sunday? To help us look beyond ourselves, beyond our congregation, and see a global church that embraces so many different cultures and peoples and traditions. That's one reason we do it. Yet we sing the same hymns often. We read from the same scriptures and pray many of the same prayers and we participate in the same sacrament. We may commune together as sisters and brothers in spite of our differences. So why this special Sunday to celebrate our unity And unity doesn't mean that we see everything the same way and agree on every little thing that comes along. It does mean that we are focused on the purpose, a common purpose of making disciples of Jesus Christ to change this world. That's what unifies us as a common purpose, to remind us this World Communion Sunday of the bigness of God's church. It's around the globe. It's making a difference in places we've never even heard of and to remind us of the size of our God. Large and huge and loving. Now we'll talk more about that. In fact, I invite you in just a moment to to celebrate that sacrament. But what I want us to do now is circle back around to that gospel reading. The fourth gospel, John's gospel, is full of meaning and depth. And John often has things in his gospel that when you first read them, it makes you want to say, hmm, what's that all about? And you have to think. And even then, you find new things. I find new things all the time. And one of those things that is sort of hidden in John's gospel, but it's right there in plain view, is that number 153. Where in the world did that come from, and what does that mean? John usually will not mention a number or something like that without there being something behind it and some reason for saying that. 153 fish, that seems a little bit unusual, doesn't it? Maybe he gave the number to remind us that the fish would be divided among those who were on the boat, among the crew, that they would all have an equal number that they could take home and feed their family or perhaps sell on the open market and make a little money, make a living. 153 fish divided up, maybe. But when we remember John's way of sometimes having things in his gospel that are not apparent on the surface or at the first reading, we have to ask for eyes to see and we have to think, well, maybe there's more to that 153 than it first appears. And there are several suggestions. I won't go through all the ones I've read about today, just a a couple of three of those. And some of you may have heard some others that show that folks have been trying to figure this 153 out for a long time. Cyril of Alexandria said the number 153 is made up of three things. First, there is 100, and the number 100 represents the fullness of the nations. 100, he said, is the fullest number, the fullest number of the flock of sheep. You remember the shepherd who had the sheep in the wilderness and one wanders off and the shepherd leaves 99 to go look for the one so a hundred sheep and then there's that idea of the seed that was planted in the ground and some seed yielded different numbers different amounts of crops but one seed yielded a hundredfold some of the seeds so a hundred is 
important number. Sarah wants us to remind us of that. And 50, he says, stands for the remnant of Israel who will be gathered in. And 3 stands for the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So that's one explanation. Um, That's, I'm not sure. (laughs) Another one comes from Augustine. St. Augustine, or St. Augustine, as some folks say, maybe depending on where you're from as to how you pronounce that, but we'll, we'll call him Augustine for our purposes. He has another explanation. He says that the number 10 is the number of the law, for there are 10 commandments. Seven is the number of grace, for the gifts of the Spirit are sevenfold. Thou, the anointing Spirit, art, who does thy sevenfold gifts impart. Now, 7 plus 10 makes 17. This is his thinking now. I'm not very good at math, so you might want to check this out. And 153 is the sum of all the figures, 1 plus 2 plus 3 plus 4 up to 17. So the number 17, the number 153, stands for all those who either by law or by grace have been pointed to Jesus the Christ. A further point here, and another explanation by Jerome, one of the early church fathers, he said that in the sea there were 153 kinds of fish, 153 different varieties, and that the catch is one that includes one fish from every variety that would swim in the sea. And therefore the number symbolizes the fact that someday all persons of all nations will be gathered together in Jesus Christ. Now, a further note, a further point. The great catch of fishes was gathered into the net, and the net held all of them, and the net was not broken. The net stands for the church. And there is room in the church for persons of all nations. And even if they all come in, God's church is big enough to hold them all. We don't have to worry about the nets breaking. And we don't have to trick people to catch them in these nets either. That's sort of a sideline. But they fished with nets back then at night because they didn't have clear nets. And the dark net in the sea at night, the fish couldn't see and they could get caught. So that's just a, a reason for fishing at night. I know some of you maybe prefer fishing at night. John is telling us in his own subtle yet vivid way of the universality of God's church. There's no kind of exclusiveness in the church. We need to remember that on this World Communion Sunday. There's no color barrier. There are no barriers of any sort, no selectiveness. The embrace of the church is as universal as the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The embrace of the church is a universal act. And it might help a little bit to understand this this chapter toward the end of John's gospel when you think about Peter's role in all of this. Peter is the one, we are told, who pulled that net to the shore. About 100 yards offshore they were fishing, 153 fish in the net. It seems like quite a chore to me. That's the length of a football field to pull that net in. But Peter pulled the net in to the shore. And if you read the book of Acts... And look at Peter's role in that book. And especially when he had that vision and saw the sheet or that sail of the ship come down with all those unclean animals and fish and things on it and and the command to go and eat and how the next day he found himself in the house of a Gentile of all people taking the church to the world. So maybe it's important 
Maybe the writer of John's gospel wants us to hear that, that it was Peter who drug this net to the shore. And then these thoughts, and these are some thoughts that just came to me when I was working with all of this. Sometimes I don't know whether to blame the Holy Spirit or blame my own imagination. But I will share these thoughts with you, and we will close out and move on into our Holy Communion. This thought came to mind, if we only fish in certain waters at certain times, using certain baits, while we employ certain techniques, then we will limit our catch to certain kinds of fish. We're called not to fish with a rod and reel, but with a net. And don't worry, the net's strong. It's not going to break on us. Amen.